0: It happens almost every time. There's one in every meeting. Someone who doesn't really understand Zoom. Have you been there? Or at least they don't understand the mute button. Your eyes scan the screen for that yellow box highlighting that person, you know the one. The one who's shuffling papers loudly, yet unaware that they are unmuted. The one who's talking to someone else when they're thinking we can't hear them. Beware the unmuted multitasker. You know the one. They don't realize that they are unmuted while they blend their morning protein shake or while their dog is barking louder and louder. Sometimes those unmuted multitaskers think they're doing us a favor by stepping away from the screen. They're gone for just a few moments and what they're actually doing is leaving us with the sounds of them vacuuming the floor. Oh, the embarrassing things that people say when they think that they are on mute. Do we really need to know everything they're preparing for lunch? Not really. We're actually embarrassed for them during those times. So even if you think you're muted, check again. For your own sake, for all our sake, there's a line over the microphone symbol to help you. But oh, to be the host. To be the host and to have the mute all button, to be able to mute those repeat offenders. But most often we are not the host and we're stuck Stuck listening to the person run the water in the sink or far worse. I do love the kid who changed his name to connecting to audio with three dots. His teacher never called in on him during the whole class, but counted him as present. That's ingenious. Today, we visit the original use of the mute button by the host the heavenly host, as the birth of John the Baptist is announced in the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, verses 5 to 25. Hear these words. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the good news according to the gospel of Luke. Thanks be to God. The Lord has done this for me, Elizabeth said. I assume she was talking about becoming pregnant, but maybe she was thanking God for muting her husband Zachariah for 9 months. Zachariah, what a great name with a strong nickname, Zach. The Lord me, the name means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. In the Gospel of Luke, which is like the Broadway musical of all Gospels, someone is always bursting into song. We join Zachariah right there in the room where it happens, in that holy place, a once in a lifetime shot that he is not giving away. Zechariah has been granted the chance to be the priest that enters into the holy place to offer incense during the time of sacrifice. He enters into this holy space while the people wait outside and the people waiting outside are praying. And this should be a sign for you. As we read the Gospel of Luke, when people are praying, significant things happen. You remember, don't you? After Jesus was baptized, he was praying and the heavens were open. Jesus spent all night on the hills in prayer right before he chose the 12 disciples. In the ninth chapter of Luke, Jesus was praying alone. He's probably praying for Peter's impulsiveness as Peter was quick to talk and slow to listen. It's right before Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? One of our church members keeps the opposite of this on his speakerphone. It says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. That's good advice on a speakerphone. While the people are praying outside, Zechariah is startled by the angel Gabriel who is in there standing right next to the altar. And this is no wingless angel second class by no means. And the angel Gabriel says, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Do not be afraid. I thought I was going to be in here by myself, Zachariah says. Do not be afraid. Yes, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard, says the angel Gabriel. My prayer has been heard? Which one, thinks Zechariah? Which one? Which prayer? I have lifted so many prayers over the years. Which one? And then the angel says this. Your wife will conceive and bear a son. Oh, that prayer, the one about a child. That was the prayer of our youth. We prayed that for the longest time, but we've aged out on that prayer. Can't you see me? How can this be, Zachariah asks. Now I'm old and my wife is well along in years. Well played, Zechariah. well played. I'm old and she is well along in years the angel Gabriel who stands in the presence of God has shown up while the people are praying. While Zechariah is praying and offering incense on behalf of the people, Zechariah gets startled by this angel and by the promise that he and Elizabeth are now going to have a child at their age. So Zechariah questions the angel. I know I would question the angel, wouldn't you? how can this be? How can this be? I'm old and she is up in years. He was in there to offer prayers for the people. Maybe Zechariah didn't expect for his own prayer to be answered that day. He didn't expect to really meet God there in the sanctuary. I love one of our church members who asked me if he could go sit in the sanctuary after we'd been closed down for several months. He said, God hasn't seen me in a while and I need to check in. Gabriel seems to be offended by Zachariah's doubt and says, because you didn't believe my words, I'm enabling your mute button. I am muting you until what I have told you will take place. What a miraculous invention, the first mute button A mute button for a father-to-be. Is anyone interested in buying one of those or wish you had one at a time in your life? A mute button for your husband? A mute button for someone in your life? Do you wish you could have muted your husband from the beginning of your pregnancy to the very end? Some early mornings, especially at the time change, I wish I had a mute button for our dog. The irony is not lost on me that I'm preaching a sermon about a preacher who could not speak and that many of you control the mute button as you watch right now or you could just fast forward over the sermon. Yet someone has to speak for the muted Zechariah. As I said, Zechariah means the Lord remembers, and now the Lord has remembered his faithful servants, Zechariah and Elizabeth, even when they thought their prayer would never be answered. Those prayers were from the beginning of their life. Memories of beginnings sometimes fade, so we have to retell the story. Do you remember how how It's a Wonderful Life begins? Do you remember the beginning? Yes, yes, the credits roll at first, but then what? I've had people say when I've asked, well, it's George Bailey there on the bridge. Nope, that's not how it starts. Or there's a conversation. I remember it clearly. There's a conversation in heaven about a man who needs help. That's close, but that's not exactly how the story begins. After the opening credits, the movie begins as we see a snowy, silent night. A sign tells us you're now in Bedford Falls. The camera pans over the households and businesses, and then the prayers begin. You might miss them if you're not paying close attention. They're quietly lifted late in the evening on that Christmas Eve. Mr. Gower, the druggist who lost a child from the virulent Spanish flu, prays, I owe everything to George Bailey. Help him, dear father. Mr. Martini, the restaurant and bar owner, prays, Joseph, Jesus, and Mary, help my friend, Mr. Bailey. Then you hear Mrs. Bailey, George's mom, pleading, help my son George tonight. Bert, the policeman, prays, he never thinks about himself, God. That's why he's in trouble. You hear Ernie, the cab driver, lifting his prayer. George is a good guy. Give him a break, God. And then... Then we hear the voice of Mary, George's wife, as she tenderly prays for her husband. I love him, dear Lord, watch over him tonight. Then the pleas of his daughter, Janie. Please God, something's the matter with daddy. And then finally the desperation of his littlest daughter, Zuzu. Please bring daddy back. Please bring daddy back. That's how the story begins. You remember it now? surrounded by prayer on that Christmas Eve, the prayers of the people being lifted up to God over those households. And where's George Bailey at that moment? We learn later in the movie, he's sitting at Martini's bar, trying to drown his sorrows and later considering drowning himself. I have a preacher friend in Denver who used to be a bartender. Part of his Christmas Eve ritual is to head over to a local bar after his services are over and give the bartenders a break. He says, people in a bar at midnight on Christmas Eve are searching for something. So after he serves a round of drinks, then he sets up the bar for communion and serves communion there on the bar at midnight on Christmas Eve, not waiting for them to somehow come to his church, but taking that holy meal of forgiveness and grace to them. So often people are looking for some peace and quiet, aren't you? Yet we live in an age of noise where the volume seems to always be turned up to 11. There are few places we can go today where sound is not abundant. The 24-hour news cycle resounds in our lives, morning, noon, and night. The 24-hour buying cycle sends us notification after notification, showing us the latest deals, the latest ways to somehow be made happy. The ping of email and text messages can be a constant companion. Even our ear pods now read our text messages out loud and give us our calendar notifications. Homeschooling and home officing bring their own levels of noise. It can be too much. There's so little quiet time in any of our lives. And here we find Zachariah at the top of his game. He finally gets to go into the Holy of Holies. he thought about it for years. Everything is clicking for him. He's been doing all the right things. He was a righteous man, but I don't think he was fully at peace. My wife says sometimes I can get so busy that I don't even know that I'm not at peace, but she does. We long for moments of peace and quiet, and yet a moment in time, can halt us. It mutes all the noise. It can stop us in our tracks. A bad diagnosis, a job loss. As I discussed with one family this week, a death, a debt, or a diagnosis can stop us in our tracks, and we can't quiet the voices around us or the voices in our heads. How might we get some peace and quiet? Wouldn't it be great to have a mute button to quiet all the noises around us or in us? George Bailey is sitting at that bar. The music is playing. People are talking all around him and in the midst of the chaos swirling around him, he offers up a prayer. You might remember it. God, God, dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way, God. Show us the way, God. Show us the way to peace. Even though the war was not over, Jimmy Stewart himself was not at peace in 1945. He was fresh out of serving three years in the Air Force during World War II, and he'd been away from the film industry and didn't know if he ever wanted to be in a film again. He said he was just a little bit scared after the war. It had been so much. Then one day Frank Capra phoned him, that great director who'd been away in the service as well. He was making the Why We Fight documentary series for the military. And Frank Capra admitted to being a little frightened too during this time. So much uncertainty. But Capra had a movie in mind and he invited Jimmy to come meet in his office to talk about it. Capra said the idea came from a Christmas card of all places. Now listen, Frank began hesitantly, and he seemed a little embarrassed. He seemed a little embarrassed about this story. He goes, the story starts in heaven, and it's sort of the Lord telling somebody to go down to earth because there's a fellow who's in trouble, and this heavenly being goes to a small town, and then Frank swallowed and took a deep breath and tried to go on with the story. Well... What it boils down to is this. There's a fellow who thinks he's a failure in life and he's about to jump off a bridge. Then the Lord sends down an angel named Clarence who hasn't quite earned his wings yet. And Clarence jumps into the water to save the guy, but the angel can't swim. So the guy has to save him. And then Capra stopped and wiped his brow and said, this doesn't tell very well, does it? This is a difficult story. But Jimmy Stewart jumped up and said, Frank, if you want to do a picture, if you want to do a picture about a guy who jumps off a bridge and an angel named Clarence who hasn't won his wings yet comes down to save him, well, I'm your man. He was all in. So they began construction on one of the largest and longest American movie sets ever made until that time. Bedford Falls had 75 stores and buildings on four acres with a three block main street lined with 20 full grown oak trees. It was amazing and Jimmy Stewart said as he walked down that shady street the morning they started work it reminded him of his hometown, Indiana, Pennsylvania. Stewart said, I almost expected to hear the bells of the Presbyterian church ring where my mom played the organ and my dad sang in the choir. He remembered how the fire siren would go off and his dad, a a volunteer fireman, would slip out of the choir loft. If it was a false alarm, his dad would sneak back in and sort of give a nod to everyone to assure them that none of their houses were in danger. Jimmy Stewart said, I remembered how after I got in pictures, my dad came to California for a visit and he asked me, Jimmy, where do you go to church around here? And I stammered and I said, well, I, I, ha- I haven't been going. I, there, there are no churches around here. His dad disappeared and came back with four men not too long after. And he said, you must have not looked very hard, Jimmy because there's a Presbyterian church just three blocks from here, and these are the elders. They're building a new building now, and I told them you were a movie star, and you would help them build it. And that's how he joined the Brentwood Presbyterian Church. Jimmy Stewart said, good as that script was, for it's a wonderful life, there was still something else about the movie that made it different. He said it was hard to explain. He said he had things happen to him during the filming of that picture that never happened to him in any other picture. In one scene, George Bailey is faced with an unjust criminal charge and not knowing where to turn, he ends up at the bar at Martini's restaurant on Christmas Eve unaware that his friends and his family, his wife and daughter, daughters are fervently praying for him. In this scene at one of the lowest points in George Bailey's life, Frank Capper was shooting a long shot of Jimmy slumped in despair, but then something happened. Stewart remembered it this way. He said, in agony, I raised my eyes and followed the script pleading, God, God, dear father in heaven, I'm not a praying man. But if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way, God. It became Jimmy Stewart's honest prayer, not just George Bailey's prayer. And he was overwhelmed by all that he'd witnessed in wartime. He was overwhelmed by his own fear and struggle. And he remembers it this way. He said, as I felt those words, I felt the loneliness, the hopelessness of people who had nowhere to turn. And my eyes filled with tears. And I broke down sobbing. It was not planned at all, but the power of that prayer and the realization that our Father in heaven was there to help the hopeless had reduced me to tears. It is a wonderful life. It's still a wonderful life. The movie is simply about an ordinary man who discovers that living each ordinary day honorably with faith in God and a selfless concern for others can make a truly wonderful life. You may remember the final scenes of the movie go like this. George Bailey runs through town like Scrooge on Christmas morning yelling, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas to all he can see. Then he gets home and he tells his family over and over again how much he loves them and how much he missed them. And then a strange thing happens. His wife tells him to go and stand by the Christmas tree and not to move. And for the next three plus minutes, George Bailey stands there muted. He speaks not a word during this sequence, but he has a huge smile on his face as he watches the people he's helped over the years cycle through their living room, one after another, dropping gifts for him on a large table in front of him. They save the building and loan, and they save the wonderful life of George Bailey. Maybe, just maybe, we can't find peace and quiet because we've had it backwards this whole time. For it is in the quiet, those muted moments that we find peace, the times in our life when we say nothing, the times in our life when we listen. For when there is no quiet in our life, there is no room for the Prince of Peace to come in. When there is no quiet, there is no peace. We've always had it backwards, I think. We've been looking for peace and quiet, but I think it's the quiet that brings the peace. The quiet first, and then the peace. You can't force peace to happen, but we can keep it from happening. And so often we do. Zechariah found out that the way to peace came through a time of silence. Peace came over the face of George Bailey when he was silent for a time with the gifts on the table before him. You don't even have to do it for nine months like Zachariah to find more peace of Christ in your life. But we do have to make room for it by sometimes silencing the noise around us and at other times silencing ourselves, the noise within us. Will you try it this Advent? Creating intentional moments of quiet? Before you grab your phone in the morning, take a few minutes of quiet and let the peace of Christ guide your thoughts for the day. Before you walk in the door at night if you're still going somewhere for work, take a few minutes of silence, leaving work in the car and not bringing it all into the house or close your laptop and take a few minutes of silence before interacting with your family or with others. Turn off your phone for five minutes at a time during the day so you can spend some uninterrupted time with God or with your children or with your spouse or with yourself. Maybe, just maybe, being muted is the way to peace. Give yourselves and others the gift of quiet this Advent. Amen. Amen.